I once thought I was a wise man, um, not quite that wise. And uh, I'm going to let Bridge Kids go in just a second. Okay, Bridge Kids, if you're here, uh, you may uh, be dismissed, okay? Thank you very much for joining us for worship. I once thought I was a, a wise man. I, um, I majored in philosophy in college, and I was just learning enough to think I was uh, smart. And uh, fortunately, I met Jesus, and it, it changed everything. The video depicts uh, what it might have been like for one of the wise men uh, that went to find Jesus in uh, chapter 2 of Matthew's gospel. You know, actually, we know very little about the, the wise men. Uh, we know that God sent them searching for a new king that was to be born. We know that God used them to tell his story and to spread the good news about his son. We, we know that they had a good king, bad king encounter in Matthew 2. And we, uh, we're going to meet them in their search. And I want to start by reading Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 in, the, in your scriptures this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 reads... After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we meet these wise men. They're sometimes called Magi, as we see here in, in the NIV. Uh, they are searching for an important king, a king that was born king of the Jews. And that's going to be an important contrast. And the search uh, for the king, verses 1 and 2, the time and the place, Matthew writes in verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So this happens after the birth of Jesus. And a lot of you know, some of you may not know, this does not necessarily happen on the night of his birth. You know, we, we have this nativity story and we have this nativity scene and all these people are there at once. May not have been the case, especially for the wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, that is the town where King David was born, the town that uh, God sent Joseph and Mary. An angel came to Joseph and Mary separately, and he sent them to Bethlehem. Uh, and this happened during the time of King Herod. Um, King Herod ruled from 37 B.C., to about 4 B.C., um, a, a long-standing ruler. And Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Um, they came from the east, but we have no clue which country they came from. We don't know actually how far they came. Um, but we do know that they came to Jerusalem um, so who is this King Herod? Well, he's called Herod the Great. And that's primarily because of his long 
uh, tenure and all of the accomplishments that he had, especially in building great projects. And he prided himself in leaving a great legacy with the buildings, the structures, including the great temple in Jerusalem, although it was never finished in his lifetime, but he started the great project. Um, Herod was from Idiomia. He was an Idiomian, which means that he was an Edomite. He was from Esau's family. What does that mean? He was not a Jewish man. He was not an Israelite. He lived just outside of Israel, or at least was from outside of Israel. Um, he was appointed by the Romans, and he was a skillful political figure, and he was able to finagle his, his rule in, 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 uh, in Israel. He was ruthless, he was arrogant, he had a tremendous anger, and he was willing to use violence to accomplish his purposes. Um, Herod killed one of his wives, her mother, and three of his own sons, just to name a few, and a whole lot of friends, and others were put in prison. So who are the Magi from the East? We've already described them a bit. They are students of the stars. That's what they've given their life to. They are professionals. They study astrology and astronomy. Uh, they're searching for information. They're searching for the possibility of learning maybe something about the future, being able to read the times. Uh, they were also consultants, and this, they were professional counselors, usually to political leaders in the court from the countries they were from. Places like Babylon or Persia. And uh, I think we have a map to help us out. Certainly we do. Um, so if you, if you, we don't know where they came from, but I think since I'm colorblind, I don't see all the colors well. I don't see Babylon well, but I know where it is. Most of you can probably see that. We don't know if they were from there. That was a common place when you think of the east. That was a, that was a center, and uh, they could have come from that area or somewhere around there. And you notice where Nineveh was. We saw Nineveh back in the book of Jonah. And so here's a possible path up the Euphrates River, and then you take a turn and you come down. This is the same path. Uh, same route that Abraham took from the Ur of the Chaldeans when he came to the land of Israel. Why this route? Well, it was the common highway of the day. This was a trade route, a caravan route, because what? There was an Arabian desert, if you went by the crow, the way the crow flies, and people didn't cross the desert. And um, so they, they would have gone north. And you know how far this is? This is about 900 miles for the, the Magi to come from the east. And so I don't know exactly how far they came. Maybe it was 700, maybe it was 1,100. I don't know how far they had to travel. But they came from the east. It would have taken several months. One writer suggests it would have taken nine months to travel that far. They would have had to plan it. They would have had to pull, pull the whole thing together. Um, 
So not likely they came straight west through the desert. Verse 2, we see the, the purpose of their, their trip. And the Magi asked this question in verse 2, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the Magi are looking for someone in particular, the one born king of the Jews. We don't know much. We don't know how much they knew about him. The Magi are from the east. They are pagans. They have come from a pagan world religion background. Uh, they, they may have been exposed to Jewish people during captivity. Maybe they had been exposed to some scripture through the Jewish people. That certainly was not their way of life, and it was not their training. Um, the, the Magi do not know for sure where this child will be born. But they know that something is up because they have been studying and they have been examining the stars and they have decades of experience of examining the stars. And something has now happened. And when they find this king, they will worship him. That is their plan. Something is happening. Something is happening in their lives, and it has moved them to get up and to travel 900 miles or so to worship a king that they've never met before and that they know very little about. They will worship him. He is the good king that they are searching for. In John uh, 6, 44, Jesus reminds us of uh, a verse maybe you haven't thought of in a while. It says, no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is an important theological concept. The Father is the one who draws people to the Son, and that's exactly what he was doing back in Matthew chapter 2 with the Magi. God had worked in their heart, created this curiosity and given them information that attracted them to do something, to get up. They probably spent over a year of their life on this journey. And God was at, the, at work in the lives of these wise men. They had a curiosity to meet the Son, and, Son of God in person. At least they had the one that God was directing them to. They don't know who he is yet. You know what? God is still doing that today. God is still causing people to search. People that may surprise you. People that ha do not have any exposure to the truth. Have not had exposure in the past. God is the one who opens heart hearts. And I can tell you for sure that I was the skeptic. I was the critical person. I was the one who had all the questions. I was the one who said I was an atheist. And God just slowly worked in my life and began to get my attention till finally I just had to humbly be honest 
and say, God, I think you're real. I believe. I trust you. I didn't know what was going to happen, but it totally changed my life. We don't know what's going to happen to the outcome of the wise men, but I think you're going to be marked, maybe marked for eternity, at least for, for some of them. They have no spiritual background, no scriptures, and pagan religious experience, and yet here they are. They're searching for the one that God has promised. So, God brought these magi to Jerusalem. And we don't know, uh, they, they saw this star from afar off. We don't know, you know, it's the star of the east. Well, if it's the star of the east, would they go east or would they go west? They went west. Was it the star of the west? That's why they call it the rising star, because that's a, another translation for this concept. They saw the star, and it was east of them, and they went to follow, and it led them to Jerusalem. We, do, we don't know how much they had the star on the way, but they somehow knew to get to Jerusalem, but they didn't know what to do once they got there. Jerusalem is a place where the temple is. Jerusalem is the largest city in the area. It's, it's like the, the most re, important religious center, and like the, if there was such a thing as a capital, that would be Jerusalem in the, in the land of Israel, and and so God led them to this point because God wants them to help communicate some information while they're there. We see a conspiracy against the king in verses 3 through 8. And there is a problem we see that surfaces in verse 3. And the problem is when King Herod, verse 3, heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. King Herod was a bit upset about the news that a new king could be born to the Jewish people, king of the Jews. Not only is he troubled by this, Matthew states that all Jerusalem with him, and that's, you know, kind of a hyperbole for, for uh, talking about he stirred things up. He had a reputation in Jerusalem. And some people were What's Herod going to do now? Because when he gets like this, bad things happen. Likely this means that the people around King Herod are concerned, even fearful of what might happen. You see, Herod's way of solving personnel problems is usually extreme violence, and it's wide, his reputation is widely known. To say that King Herod was disturbed was probably a polite way to describe what he was feeling on the inside. He was beginning to fume. King Herod wants to know more, but he's very careful not to tip his hand uh, in this communication he has with the Magi here. The question is in verse 4. And so he asked in verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, so those are the religious leaders of Israel, the chief priests, that's their function, that's their role, they are Sadducees. They're, they're sad, you see? 
and, this, and the teachers of the law are the Pharisees. They are fair, you see. And those are, they're kind of political parties and they're kind of belief systems. They're, they're kind of together. It's separate, it's separate from their functions. And so you sort of have these groups that are opposed each other and they're, they're together over Jesus. They start together over Jesus and they end together over Jesus throughout his, his, his life. And Herod has brought them together to, to ask the question uh, for... for um, where is this child to be born? Where is the Messiah to be born? And the location is given in verses 5 and 6. And the answer comes, verse 5. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they reply, for this is what the prophet has written. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Maybe 750 to 700 B.C. that was written. In Bethlehem, in Judea. They, they, they know the answer. They don't even have to look it up in the scripture. They can just answer because that's just so well known. And then verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd the people of Israel. So the Messiah, the, the promised one, the anointed one, the Christ, will be born in Bethlehem. And we know that's just a small town uh, in the southern province of Judah. It's just six miles outside of Jerusalem to the southeast. And out of Bethlehem will come this great leader who will lead God's people. That is, he will shepherd God's people. Well, that's where David was born. And that was the task that David was given as a king. He was to shepherd God's people. But David's been dead for 300 years. There's going to be another great king come out of Bethlehem, and he's going to be a shepherd to God's people. You know, that's the job descriptions for all kings of Israel. They were to shepherd God's people, to lead God's people in a way that would follow, be following God. That was Herod's job. He was the king. All kings had the same job, at least from God's perspective. Herod had his own job description. He had created it along the way. In verses 7 and 8, we see the deception. And um, Herod gets creative here now. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So Herod does this in secret. Um, he doesn't make it known. He doesn't invite all of his uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. He just pulls the wise men aside here, and he wants to have a private conversation. He wants to know the exact time. When did you say the star appeared? What's, what's he thinking? Why does he want to know? Well, he's beginning to formulate a plan on how he's going to resolve the problem that he's facing. Um, if you remember... Herod is a skillful politician. He's a very competitive man, and the way he deals with personnel problems is he removes them permanently. And that's his new plan, because a king born to be king of the Jews 
would be a tremendous threat. From the time he was a child, it would be easy for people to say, you are the rightful king. You were born king of the Jews. You are a descendant of David. Even as a child, people might take him in and protect him and attack and put to death King Herod. And so King Herod's going to control the situation. And so he comes up with a plan. It is not the plan of a good king. And so he seeks to deceive the Magi in verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me. He said, I may too go and I want to worship him myself. So Herod lets the Magi go on their way. And Herod, Herod wants them to do his a favor. I just want you to know that when you find out, when you, t- can, when you know where he is, when you come back through, just, just tell me. So I, so I want to go there too. And I, I want to be there. I want to I be able to worship him just like you. And so just report back. And then there's a meeting with the king, verses 9 through 12. Now the wise men get a re- meet and encounter the real king, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. It starts with the Christmas star, that is the star the wise men had discovered in their home country. We don't want to call it the eastern star because it really wasn't the eastern star. It was more of a western star in in their land, but it was the star. And it, it was a miraculous star. There's been a lot of explanation of what kind of star it was. Was it, was it a planet? Was there a converge of planets? Was it a comet? What was it? Um, was it a supernova? Well, it was God's star. Had one purpose, had one reason to it exist, and that's all it had. And that's how God used it. I think it was totally supernatural, just like all these things that surround the birth of Christ. The angels the miracles in his life, the things that happened at his resurrection. This was to showcase God's son, to get everybody's attention that God is up to something. God is showing these pagan religious philosophers that he is up to something. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they they went on their way, and um, and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So the Magi head out, they go toward Bethlehem, and guess what? The star appears, and they're on the right, they know he's going to be born in Bethlehem, they're on the right path, and the star is back. And finally it brought them to the child, to to his very location. You wonder, what was it like? Was was it like a powerful spotlight on the house? What time of day was it? I mean, even the daytime, maybe there's a spotlight on it that they could find it. The joyful response in verses 10 and 11, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. This was an affirmation. They're on the right track. They have come over 900 miles. Are they complaining about how tired they are or how tough the journey is? Now the joy overtakes it all. They're having a real spiritual experience. Unless you've had a few real spiritual experiences, and maybe it just doesn't make sense. They just feel this was so worth it. 
Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. What an unusual thing to do for a baby, for a peasant, for a Jewish baby from these professionals from the East. But they have come to fulfill their promise. They have been prompted by God and they've been led by God to this place and they have come to worship. So a couple of observations. This is not the manger scene. Okay? This is not the manger. Jesus is no longer a newborn. And one of the reasons we know that is because the word that's used here for child is a word that's used for children that are older than newborns. More appropriate for a toddler or even an older child, but certainly appropriate for a toddler. Um, the family is living in a house now. Maybe it's a house that's close to where Jesus was born. But he, they're living in a house. They're not in this animal environment that they were in. And the Magi have come to worship Jesus, not his mother. You may never be confused by that. Some people do get confused. Here is Jesus and, and his mother, and they worship him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were appropriate gifts to give to a great king. They were expensive gifts, kind of unusual for just this little baby. Gold has always been valuable as money and jewelry. Frankincense was an expensive perfume used for many things, including perfume for clothes and bedding for the rich people. It was also used in worship at the temple in Israel. Myrrh was an ex another expensive perfume. Frankincense and myrrh both come from trees, exotic trees. Myrrh was an expensive perfume with many different purposes, including burial for the dead. The Jewish people didn't embalm their dead, but they wrapped them in spices and perfume, and myrrh was one of those things they used. And sometimes going back, it's, you know, what did these three gifts represent? Some people have given answers. We just don't know what the purpose of the gifts were. Some have said the gold was because it was fitting for the king, who was going to be the king of kings. The frankincense, because of his deity, because of the worship for God, that Jesus was God. And then the myrrh for his humanity, because he came to die, and the death was a proof of his humanity. The scripture doesn't tell us that. It may be. What we do know is there were three gifts. We don't know how many wise men there were. Um, the Western tradition is there were three because three gifts. May, may well be. The Eastern tradition is there were 12. May well be. We don't know. J. Vernon, J. Vernon McGee says there was more likely 300 than three. 
because this would have been a large group of a lot of servants. And this, you know, imagine coming to Jerusalem and Herod gets skeptical. Why? Because of three guys? Or because of this great big troop of people coming and they have come to worship the king of the Jews. We don't know how many people there were. And it doesn't really matter. If you like three, go ahead and have three in your nativity scene. <laughs> and then we come to verse 12, and we notice something changes on their way home. They take the other route, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their home country by another route. So the Magi have traveled over 900 miles to worship Jesus, the newborn king. And God drew them to meet this person. And when it was time to go back, God protected them. And God is going to protect his son too as well. God protected them. And he says, don't go back through Jerusalem. It's going to be a little bit dangerous. I don't know. Maybe Herod didn't want any witnesses. Who knows? But God says, don't go that way. Herod, uh, so he sent them on a different route and they bypass Jerusalem and we find out the reason why in verse 13. When they had gone, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, Joseph. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. The wise men search for him. To worship him. And now Herod's going to search the bad king to kill them. And then we come to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, God had sent them the other way, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He asked, when did the star appear? And they told him. And so Herod's going to use that date. And he's going to protect himself by eliminating all the children from the time the star appeared until then. All the newborn boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding area will be put to death because of Herod. And this is one of the reasons why some scholars believe that Jesus may have been two years old by the time the wise men got to Bethlehem. So from the beginning of Jesus' life, God is working outside the religious system. That's one of the amazing things about the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness, outside the religious system, and he calls people out to repent. But God had been doing that from the beginning. God goes outside the religious system. He goes outside the political systems of Israel to accomplish his purposes because the religious system and the political system of Israel was corrupt. They were supposed to be in step the king and their relationship with God. They, they were supposed to be in step. But God used pagans from the east to bring him worship just like he did. You know, what if, I just was thinking about this when I was writing this. 
You know, we here in America are so comfortable in our Christianity and we don't worry about, well, we have stress, but we, our, a lot of our problems aren't very big even though we're high stressed. What if God just kind of got tired of us and decided, I want to I go outside this system. I want to go to something fresh and new that's not going to be all caught up in the way they do their Christianity. You know, I sometimes think that Christianity may be running out our time in the U.S. historically, that we reach a time where not much is happening here. God used pagans from the east to bring him worship just like he could do it today. He can, he can go anywhere to raise up true worshipers that would honor him. God is still drawing people to Jesus. People like the wise men are still searching one of my questions is, are you and I, are we alert enough? Are we ready? Do we notice if there are people around us searching? Do, do, will we take the time to engage people that are searching, to walk with them, to answer their questions, to get to know them? That takes investment. It takes prayer. It takes time. Are we just so caught up in, gosh, I have a busy life. It's important. God is still drawing people. People are still searching. People just like the wise men. Today we're going we're gonna to worship our Lord with a time of, of communion. We're, we're worshiping the, the newborn king who came to this earth, who was God's son. He was the son of the most high God, the mighty God. He was the savior of of his people. He came to save us from our sins. And we know the whole story. We know that God sent his son because he loved us. We know that God uh, sent his son that ultimately his love would be demonstrated that Jesus would die and pay the penalty for our sins. That We know that we deserved a death. Uh, we deserved separation from God. That's what we deserve. We're, we're all just you know, we're not better American sinners. We're all just sinners like the rest of the human race. And God sent his son for us. And today we say back to God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. That's what we do when we celebrate communion. We remember, we keep this as a focus. May we never forget. May we be humbled. I think it should humble us every time we take communion, every time we stop and rethink what Jesus has done for us, who we are. Now, the great thing is, I'm just a sinner saved by grace through faith. But the great thing is, now I'm a child of God. Now I'm forgiven. Now I have the Holy Spirit in me. Now I'm a citizen of heaven. That's a gift. I didn't deserve it. And that's why we want to stop and say, thank you, God. So I want to just take a minute, take some time to pray. And when we come to this, we know that our job is to make sure that we come to God with a short account, that if we have sins in our lives, we have, we've confessed our own sins. And we have this marvelous prom, promise in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us of all unrighteousness. And we have, that's for Christ followers and, and so that we can come to him 
and confessed and be honest and be forgiven. So let's just pause and, and take some time right before uh, we share this time to ask God to examine our hearts. May we respond to him with honesty and truth. Whether it's our words, our, our actions, or our, our thought life. Ask God to show you what, what he wants you to be doing. If there's sin, what does he want you to confess? Be specific, be honest. Ask him for forgiveness. Father, we're so grateful for the gift of your son. Thank you for sending Jesus because you loved us. That he came for us. He came to save us from our sin. Thank you that he accomplished that on the cross. Today we remember him. And um, I just want to thank you for the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. God, we know that the bread and the cup represent the life of Jesus. His life for our life. And we desire his life. We desire to have him live through us. God, guide our steps. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to honor you with our, our speech, with our, with our actions, the way we behave, the way we treat each other, with our, with our attitudes, with our thought life. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup that reminds us of the marvelous gift that you've given. In Jesus' name, amen. We are, um, we have a communion where we're going to invite you to come to the front and uh, we have a sealed communion and be sure and take the top off carefully before you take off the second one so you don't spill it. And uh, whenever you're ready, uh, you may uh, come to the front. And please... We have just joined a stream of churches who have been celebrating communion for 2,000 years. You know, there's a lot of ways to do it, a lot of methods, a lot of traditions that churches have about celebrating communion. And the most important thing is, is remember that Jesus died for us and thank God for the gift of our salvation and just to remember him. I'm so glad you've joined us today, whether... Um, you're able to make it here, or whether um, you're watching online, we're so grateful uh, to be with you. Scripture says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death 
until his come. That's a testimony. And we continue to live out that testimony. And that's my prayer that we can live that out during the week, not just here. God bless you all. We're dismissed.